0: Welcome to the real world.
1: Are you ready to talk about The Matrix 3? Yes. A movie that that you totally remember everything that happened in?
0: Yes. (laughs) Just ask a series
1: of yes or no questions. Mike Thomas, did you enjoy The Matrix Revolutions? Yes. Mike Thomas, did you feel that there was a satisfying conclusion to the path of Neo? Sure. <laughs> That's not a yes or no. This is the Sky Scorchers episode three. We are here to talk about the Matrix Revolutions. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Mike Thomas, founder of the real world. How are you right now?
0: I'm doing well overall, I think. I am, I've got multiple vacations coming up, which I'm excited about. And we're about to talk movies. And talking movies on the phone with you is always pretty fun. Aw, Mike. That's, that's, yeah. That
1: might be the genuinely nicest thing you've ever said to me. I'm taken aback. Uh, so, might be yeah. the nicest
0: thing I've ever said
1: to anyone. <laughs> Quite possibly, I don't know. <laughs> so this is The Matrix Revolutions, released November 5th, 2003. So six months after Reloaded. The Wachowskis wanted to do it a few weeks afterwards, and Warner Bros. taught them out of that. I thought in my head it was a year apart, like how, you know, the Avengers films are coming out a year apart, all that sort of stuff, but no, six months. And it didn't make a ton of money. I mean, it made $427 million, which, you know, if you offered me that, of course I'd bite your hand off, but that's about as much as the first one, which was an unknown quantity, and a lot less than Reloaded. Uh, You can put that down to, you know, people not liking Reloaded, you can put it down to it coming out so soon after Reloaded, versus, you know, the hype of so many years after the first one you can put it down to the fact they did a worldwide release like to the minute like it came out in in sync around the world in like 50 different places and also there was a 66 percent drop off in week two so word of mouth I mean this is the least well regarded of the three I think it's fair to say. I think people make fun of the second one the most, but I think they still like it more than this one because uh not good to to do so much less money. But enough of all that information, Mike. What are your just broadest possible thoughts on this because you this was your second time seeing it and you said you you didn't really remember anything that happened?
0: I don't believe- in like vague broad strokes when it happened like mm-hmm. there wasn't anything that happened i was like what like literally <laughs> the, the only thing like that was i thought gina torres did not appear in this movie oh like of my memory is. was that she was only in the reloaded not revolution so i was like what gina torres is here." Yeah. yeah that was you know some of us i couldn't remember if the council was like died like i couldn't remember what happened to harry lennox but overall <laughs> i mean broad- i don't
1: think you find any of those things out to be honest yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but probably you know broad strokes this did go as i remembered but it's i think if i'm talking just generally about it it's this feels so stripped down
1: Barely anything Uh, happens. It's the shortest one by 10 minutes. It feels even shorter than that, like, compared to the others. Because it's like, there's genuinely about three plot points. It's like, Neo stuck, we'll go get him. Zion's fucked, let's try and save it. And then Neo versus Smith. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Everything else feels like they're just like, here we go. Towards the end. It's coming now. Here it comes.
0: I would say, I mean, I think the most jarring thing is probably that middle section of the film... Where they essentially leave Neo off screen and are just doing the Battle of Zion with a bunch of characters, I think, largely speaking, they failed to get us invested in. Yes, and not a lot. That, yeah, <laughs> it was very, very jarring watching mm-hmm. it this time. Just from like a constructing this film, editing this film, like just thinking about it from that perspective and coming to this decision to be like, okay let's forget about Neo for like, I don't know. I mean, I should go back and time it, but it felt like at least 20 to 30 minutes. It felt like a real significant chunk of the movie where we just have no idea what's going on with the characters we care about. In some ways it feels like a, a compromised film in that it, it almost was like they were responding to some of the criticisms of Reloaded. And I'm not saying that they were or read anything about them doing that. They don't seem like the type of filmmakers who would do that, but they this doesn't even feel this doesn't feel like a sequel to Reloaded it really just feels like the final act of Reloaded that was just lopped off of Reloaded you know like
1: it doesn't feel like a full movie's worth of
0: story yeah and you know we talk i think that is kind of You know, it's interesting how do you construct sequels because, you know, we live in an age where it seems like there are infinitely more sequels. I would imagine that the data actually backs that up, that, you know, we have a ton of franchises going on at the same time. So how these sequels are formed is kind of like a constant source of, you know, debate or discussion or thought. And this one feels very odd. You know, that first, the, the Neo rescue scene feels pretty useless. Yeah, Um,
1: it's just sort of paint-by-numbers matrix stuff. Yeah. It feels like like they're doing an impression of themselves, almost.
0: Yeah, it kind of epitomizes the idea that where the action just becomes for the sake of the action, that we were talking a lot about in Reloaded. And, you know, it's like, okay, we get to see morpheus and trinity shoot guns one final time
1: she even repeats like the crane kick and everything and you know the, you've got the pillars and everyone flying around It's much like the uh the lobby scene in the
0: first one and yeah it's it's a bit derivative if you ask me yeah and then you know the stuff with the merovingi kind of feels the merovingi feels obligatory it feels like okay well we had all these characters in the first movie or the second movie i guess we need to have them again and well they they wow.
1: set him up as that when they built their world out they were like what's our sort of second biggest bad guy or whatever so i feel they they wanted to make him feel important and have him show up again like he's a good yeah i feel he was a good way to write themselves out of some holes or, or like a, a shortcut to like oh well he just has access to everything he's the guy that would have what they need so off they go to his nightclub and Trinity just uses a Mexican standoff to, to beat him even though he has the entire advantage
0: <laughs> yeah and you know I, I thought the only interesting part about that was Monica Bellucci like kind of being like yeah she's totally willing to to kill everyone here like that, that moment felt earned but in the context of this movie it, it felt yes
1: Monica you know, Bellucci also defying the laws of physics with her cleavage. As a straight man, that was too much boob. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And then you know the twins not being like a, th- a threat in They're any gone. way. Like They're dead. They ghosted uh, into the sky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that it just felt like And, they were you know, like, yeah, and then the this. the conduct the conductor felt the very train man. The that felt very I don't know. There was an element of like Guillermo del Toro in these mm-hmm. Matrix sequels where it's like. What can't we do? Yeah. Well, let's do it all then. Let's let's see everything. Let's see this entire world. It, and instead of like felt... weird creatures, it's what's the weirdest, quote-unquote, <laughs> computer program we can come up with for the Matrix. And I don't know. I'm not... It felt like they were saying
1: goodbye to that sort of quadrant of yeah. the, the narrative world that they'd only just introduced. But, you know, it, it's in a lot... You know, with Reloaded and the video game and the Animatrix and all this stuff they introduced, they made it a big deal very quickly. So, like, the legacy of that character isn't huge, because it's like, oh, yeah, that French dude in the Matrix. But, like, for the people that were, like, obsessed with this stuff, they did make it a big deal. And it was
0: them just sort of like,
1: ah, forget about
0: it now, though. (laughs) Like, this is that over with. And I think that's an important point because it, it can, for some, for me personally, the Matrix was not the universe that made me go. I need to know everything. I want mm. to know everything about what's going on in this universe. And like,
1: I, I'm not ashamed to admit I, I was one of those. Like I was very obsessed with like learning every little bit about it, like doing lots of reading. And, and it was a phase in my life. It's over. I now look at this and I'm like, huh, Some of it's good, dumb fun. But yeah, once upon a time I was big into like the way they built this world out. But it's weird seeing and yeah, and how think- little like. The merovingian is in these two films you know, and, and like these characters and
0: for sure in some ways i mean especially once you're introduced to it and reloaded it does feel like you know the universe is like oh obviously there's a lot more going on here than what was going on in the matrix but mm-hmm. i don't know if they're as good at telling those stories As they were with The Matrix, which was just... I mean, even though it was longer than Revolutions, it it still feels like this tighter story overall.
1: Yeah, very well-paced, whereas
0: this is like
1: it's struggling to connect its dots I think
0: yeah and I think the the biggest thing is at the end of the day they introduced us to a lot of characters and we did not care about them no. um, like
1: Zion like I remember my, my biggest disappointment with this movie is how much of it is not in the Matrix and I get that's a very deliberate choice because you spend almost the entire second movie in the Matrix like there's other than like that sweet cave rave and whatnot it's almost entirely in the Matrix and you know, when I was a teenager, that was the cool shit I wanted to see. I wanted to see the people in the in the sunglasses and the and the leather, like doing all the martial arts and gunplay and stuff. And I, I figured when I came back to watch this, I, was like, I bet as an adult I'll appreciate this Zion stuff more. But you just don't really care about a lot of those people. No. Like, I kind of like the um, Z and Chara, little the little duo when they're trying to shoot the the drill but other than that like everyone else is like "Eh, I don't care yeah and
0: and I think that kind of describes it for me too is like I I almost wanted to care more Hmm. but you know they didn't really invest a lot of time of it and reloaded so I think that they were asking a lot of us to care suddenly so much in revolutions and it's like yeah the on the field general guy seems like a a compelling badass type of like military character but really but they were they
1: were telling not showing like oh he's pissing metal and like he's the only one left and all that it's like yeah i I need more from this
0: (laughs) yeah i really did not like fake mouse he (laughs) kind of rubbed me the wrong way his character name is kid i love it yeah he's i mean almost 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 i mean there's that with with his official character name being kid and then you know the the, i guess the boss machine being called deuce ex machina there's almost like a (laughs) like a parody element of this that feels wildly inappropriate but like at the same time mildly amusing 15 years later with (laughs) some distance and certain lack of investment.
1: Yeah, and I think the stuff they did with Locke that we covered last time, where they they put Locke in a position to fail because oh yeah, he's just needless, he's just
0: wrong about fucking everything.
1: But then he's also and right. But then he's also like he is right about the but, EMP thing. But then it's like all right, but I need to be. But also like about he's it. <laughs>
0: right. But there was nothing else they could have done. It was yeah, like, okay, absolutely. do you die now or do you die fifteen minutes later? Every yeah. like, you're getting on your high horse because you're all going to live fifteen minutes longer. I mean, yeah. like, uh, if yeah. they didn't blow the EMP, everyone was going to die right then and there. Yeah,
1: and like, they define a like, large part of his character around arguing with potentially the coolest motherfucker in this universe, Morpheus, and also being like the jealous boyfriend or whatever. It, it's all just putting him in a bad. And he's like in charge of the defense of the city of you know everyone you're supposed to care about and it's like if you don't like him it's like what do you want to happen here do you want the machines to win do you want this guy to be right like
0: yeah and i mean niobe was a character now a character that you know i really like jada Pinkett smith she's usually mm. pretty compelling but again who is she what does she... i think you she's
1: know... much better in this one than in reloaded i think she's I don't know. I think the stuff where she's on the ship giving shit to Morpheus and um, Roland, Captain Roland. I thought that was all good stuff. Like when she's like, you know, I can fly that, and like saying how the ship has a fat ass and stuff like that. I thought that was
0: good stuff. I thought she's like shaky and reloaded. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's not really worth disagreeing with that. (laughs) I guess like I don't care enough to disagree. Okay.
1: I just, Um... I just. She doesn't really. Have any like memorable moments for me in the second one aside from like catching Morpheus on a car? Whereas some of my favorite lines in this film are from her, so maybe that's just a lack of competition. But I, I remember her more from this one.
0: But yeah, and then I guess you know, broadly speaking, Neo. I I think Keanu does a much does a really good job here. I think I was very invested in him by the end in a way that I did not remember being invested the first time around. Hmm so i guess in some ways that you know when i say sure earlier was I sad was I satisfying a satisfying conclusion you <laughs> i think probably yes um gets to
1: be the white savior gets to be the sacrifice he's half
0: white he is half white sure. calm down don't
1: thomas don't anderson erase his... seems
0: like he's, he's just a white dude though yeah don't erase his uh his east asian heritage but yeah i don't know all right what do you what about you what are your broad general thoughts
1: I I mean, I think we've hit a lot of them, that it just seems like there's not quite enough material here to get a full movie out of it. And, you know, you start with quite a lame Matrix sequence, and then you go to Zion for what seems like a really long time. And then you come back to... And, you know, because in the background of this, Smith has taken over ostensibly the entire Matrix. I don't know if every single thing in it is Smith at this point, but that's kind of the impression they give. And he gets that one scene to be a bit menacing when he's, like, coming for the Oracle and and Seraph and the kid. But then it's like, you just know that Smith is there and Neo shows up and they're just waiting for him. and it's,
0: It feels a bit
1: stilted, I guess. Like but, Yeah. Yeah. It-
0: it was It was really... That's another thing that I guess I didn't fully remember about thinking of the sequels as a whole is that Smith isn't really doing a lot in these movies. Like, he's kind of just I mean, an he's idea. On, he's on screen
1: a lot in the second one. And this one, I feel like they were like, we know we want it to end up, but we don't think there's much really here to do, so... Yeah, he gets to take over a
0: kid, but... He's a certain amount of screen time in two, for sure, but Mm -hmm. he feels like a sideshow to the main story. Well, it's
1: because of the pure spectacle of, look how many Hugo Weavings are on screen.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost a certain, like, illusion that he's on screen a lot more than he is just because we see his face or his CGI face so much. Sure. But even in this one, like, what does he... He's got two scenes. I I think he's he's literally got two scenes. He's taking over the Matrix. Yeah and like I I feel like he wins yeah I feel like the Bane aspect of Smith was by far the most interesting
1: yeah Ian Bliss just nail on it with his Hugo Weaving impression
0: yeah and even just that whole fight was pretty compelling Mm. I think really if anything that was the most interesting part of Smith and i want i still don't fully understand it, it but i'm honestly, i'm just accepting i am accepting that i don't fully understand it and i'm okay that i don't fully understand i, mean, it. If I don't even he- think i really want to understand
1: it. if the humans have machinery in them then i guess there's room for a program to hijack your brain i don't know
0: and what's funny is that i feel like this conversation has been largely pretty negative but it, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really it,
1: enjoyed it. I do think it I, it wraps things up quite neatly or satisfyingly. You kind of I feel like most of the characters are taken to their conclusion, and yeah, you know, it, it may be like the cheesiest possible ending that like you know Neo dies so we can all live, but that's what they were going for from day one, in a long, mostly. I mean, like,
0: he is literally he's literally Jesus Christ. He dies um, in a Christ pose. I mean, I think. I think probably the most interesting thing about these sequels is that they almost seem like a $400 million exercise in refuting the whole, like, destiny thing in the first one.
1: Mm.
0: You know, like, they literally, he literally says, because I choose. Like, you know, uh, and it was almost, it was almost like they got, like, cold feet about how, like, faith and heavy that first one was. They were (laughs) like, okay, let's calm down on destiny and people being, like, caught up in fate and Mm -hmm. things like that. That's not the... Well, the you, point of this
1: you see Morpheus is like really sullen throughout this one he doesn't quite know what to do because you know his faith was broken at the end of for well, the second one and he lost his ship and he doesn't really know what to do with himself I th- I, th- I thought that was all always... but they don't
0: really spend a lot of time on it, it doesn't feel at no. like the end of the day it feels it feels not even secondary it feels I like, know I feel like Niobe... some word for 10th that I don't understand <laughs> I don't know yeah it's 10th dairy Sure,
1: I don't know after tertiary. I'm afraid. Yeah, like Neo would be sort of jabbing him and quoting him to himself to sort of like snap him out of it or whatever. Don't I? Trinity has to die, of course, because Neo must must walk into the machine city alone. I do really like the scene with them flying towards Zero One and like him unleashing this torrent of missiles. And you know, no one's been within a hundred kilometers in a hundred years or whatever. And him just pushing them through it but he can't do it so they have to go up and you see the sky for a moment it's all very pretty and well shot and everything
0: yeah i think actually uh, my favorite part of this is neo and trinity's journey both the fight with bane ending up in the sky and you know i there's definitely a certain amount of cliche i mean i don't feel like trinity was fridged so much especially since they both fucking died and you know it wasn't like there's two hours of screen time between death like no. neo dies essentially 15 it, minutes later
1: and it wasn't like um, used as a way to like hurt neo or anything like that. Its
0: you know obviously he was
1: devastated by it but they that term is normally taken for like when it's used as a way to hurt a man or whatever and i feel this was just he had to go in there alone and like
0: what, what else are you gonna do with her kind of thing yeah, I mean, I even interpret it as just kind of like neither clear this was a suicide mission from beginning to end. Oh, yeah, she. To I, think they even, I think they even and,
1: said that. I think she said to him, or, or they, they had a conversation, like, they're not coming back. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. And, uh, you know, her death was, I think, filmed pretty beautifully. Definitely yeah. was the most emotional moment of probably the entire series hmm. which was funny because again it, it feels like not a ton of time was invested in the trinity neo actual relationship i feel like them being you know just partners in the first one who have to save morpheus i feel like that yeah, like there was more time to go to there.
1: fleeting glances and then in the second yeah. one it's just like they bang a lot <laughs> and then he saves yeah. them from death
0: it feels more like an idea that they're telling us and to a certain extent they're showing us how much they care because they keep telling us how much they care. Like, they literally... But they're not...
1: And and remember, you know, Mike, the, the key difference in this cycle of The Matrix is that Neo specifically loves Trinity. Love has saved us all.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: and like his... So was the
0: idea that these other previous ones just, like, didn't love? I mean, like, did yeah. they not have... I, I, I guess believe that was the, idea. the Oracle
1: uh, introduced in this cycle or, like, hinted him more down the route of, like, an intense love for one person and that allowed him to, I guess, focus more. I don't know. Or, like you know, be more irrational about it and choose the, the illogical thing of trying to save her versus all of humanity.
0: Yeah. It's, but I think once again, I think the emotion of that scene really works quite well.
1: I like the deus ex machina. I like that it's like the face of a baby and then it's got this really angry, petulant, like, how dare you kind of thing about it. And then it reluctantly accepts. I thought that was, you know, it's different than how you see a lot of these, like the leader of the machines type, uh, type dealios.
0: Yeah. I I didn't really, I kind of just like was taking it in. Yeah. I, I didn't, I, it was almost like I didn't have an opinion on it. I was just like. This is the thing that's happening. The physical, like,
1: design of Zero-One, it's all very... I mean, because the sun's out. Like, there's no sun, so it's all very dark, and it's all blues and sort of lightning, and so you can't really make anything out, but I... I do like the sort of baby face with the the super deep voice.
0: Yeah, and I I believe it was Kevin Michael Richardson, who's a pretty prolific voice actor. Does a lot of Batman stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there we go.
1: (laughs) He is, if you've seen a cartoon with a black dude with a very deep voice, it was probably Kevin Michael Richardson. But equally, very high-pitched voices, so who knows who it is. What do you think of the Neo Smith fight at the end? Because it's kind of our only... Boring and stupid. yeah yeah (laughs) like neo's broadly winning and then he just stops broadly winning and lets himself lose
0: superman versus zod it is you know it's kind of somewhere you know there's a great point in the jack sparrow barbosa fight at the end of the first pirates of the caribbean Mm. and barbosa's like jack what the fuck are we doing we're both (laughs) immortals like nothing bad like we're not going to be able to kill each other this is so stupid yeah and, You should yes. give up, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. I like they at least gave the lip service
1: as to why, you know, nine million Smith clones aren't attacking at once. He's like, I've seen it. I'm the one that kills you, so only I will be fighting you. It's like, okay, dude, whatever you say. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, and also he has magic powers because he's the Oracle one. Speaking sure. of, Speaking of which, the Oracle, different actress.
0: Yeah. Gloria Foster I almost, died. I almost feel like it would have been better if the Oracle was just missing. Yep. They
1: should have just, you should have maybe seen Seraph said like, you know, Smith's trying to get to her, I'd keep moving her, and then you just have it revealed that Smith, off camera, took her over. And it's like, oh Oh yeah, he does do a full on evil laugh when he takes her over. I was like, oh, okay, if that's what you want to do. I don't really like it when characters are recast like this. I would rather you just, even if it's kind of contrived, I'd rather you wrote around it and just, because I mean, she was such a big part of the first one. She had her scenes in the second one. Did you really, really, really need her to appear in this one? Could could her lines and, and information conveyed by her not have come from other sources?
0: It would have felt, like, very easy to write her out. It didn't feel like she need to be in this film. No. Like, I don't... If anything, it would have been thematically consistent with Morpheus's journey of being, like, everything we've been, like, staking our faith on has been complete bullshit to one extent or another. Yeah. <laughs> And it almost feels like it would have been more consistent for her not to appear at all. And then the recasting kind of just really threw a lot of shade on it. I, I mean, I think, again, this seems really negative. I this know. Was like, I swear. <laughs> I swear I watched movies like, hey, that was pretty good. Why have I been so hard on this in my memory?
1: I um, think because if you look at the raw components, a lot of it isn't that compelling. Like, the, yeah. the, the first, like, 30 minutes on really the siege of zion is a bit underwhelming that being said i do like the way the sentinels like swarm like that's a really good way they fight com- very logically
0: yeah and also uh. they're
1: really like terrifying like the way they come at you in like this big shape and i really like the visual of like when Mafuni's gunning at them and like they're falling out like by the hundreds but they're still coming at him because of the way they're doing it i thought that was all cool yeah Yeah, Yeah, it was one of those
0: things where they fight so logically i was like like how are we how are they possibly going to lose so (laughs) yeah i think that was so i thought that was done well where it really Mm -hmm. seemed like virtually impossible and it was yes um (laughs)
1: uh i just i don't know i wonder if like would it have been satisfying to i don't know just that final fight i kind of in some ways wish they'd just really, really, really gone hard on it, and, like, just done the most impressive one-on-one fight scene they've done in the whole series, but that fight scene they have in the subway in the first movie is so good, and, like, you know, the Morpheus Neo training fight is so good, like, it would have been hard to top either of those, but it is a pretty underwhelming one, because they lean so heavily into the flight and stuff, but... This is the corner they wrote themselves into once they decided to do sequels after he can fly and like stop bullets. It's like, why would he do all this crazy kung fu when he just fly yeah. at you at 100 miles an hour and punch you?
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that was kind of part of the brilliance of the, of the Bane stuff was yeah. that it stripped Neo of the least interesting aspects of who he was. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I, I like, I don't know. I almost think they should have come up with a way of that was the climactic payoff. Like, it's. You know, what a twist it would have been that, you know, all this crazy kung fu and the whole thing premise comes down to, you know, Smith in a body double, essentially, versus (laughs) Neo without their powers. And and I know, like, maybe in some ways that would have felt less consistent, but I don't know. I feel like it would have been more satisfying.
1: Yeah, definitely. My favorite stuff in this film is Neo and Trinity heading to zero one fighting Bane. You know the the death scene, the talking to Deus Ex Machina, and then yeah, that's that's my favorite stuff, and that's for sure.
0: But, You know, I think I think what's kind of interesting is that you know I think we've been talking about like what kind of things we want to cover on this podcast, and I think the thing that makes Mojix interesting is that it does feel like this singular, complete vision. Yeah. And I think I think in an age where that is becoming less and less common, both in terms of things ever ending and things being, you know, like a filmmaker's true idea of, like, what they want, hmm. it was almost, it was definitely, like, refreshing to watch yeah. this and just feel like, hey, this is an author writing a book from beginning to end, and it doesn't feel like a sub- totally different author suddenly taking over halfway through. Yeah, this, and, this, um,
1: this third one the whole way through feels like this is the end. Like, we're not being cute here and leaving doors open even though you know there are rumblings that they're going to continue it and all this sort of stuff but it didn't just feel like the third one of these it did feel like everything is coming to an end like because at the end of the second one when he makes his choice to not save everyone or save a select few that's you know the door is open you know the the genie's out of the bottle this is the end we are in it now uh and it felt like that the whole way through so that i would say that's a strength for it and I, I remember coming away from it, being like, you know what, that was cool, The Matrix, that's the whole story, I'm done with it, that's great. It's just if you watch it I, like, in a bubble, I'm not sure it's a great film.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I would say it's definitely not. I, in fact, I don't even know if there's anything this movie does great at all, besides probably Trinity's death. I like really the, I very... like the sheer
1: spectacle of like all those missiles going at that ship. And then them all yeah. just blowing up right in front of them, like as a sort of bombastic, large scale scene. I, I kind of dig that, but yeah, that, that, nothing else in it is amazing. Like, there's no, you know, the first one, the first two, they, they, there's a bullet point list of like the iconic scenes, and I don't think this film really has one. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no freeway chase. There's no, you know, we've said how the burly brawl doesn't look good, but it was still like a thing everyone remembers. Uh, there's definitely no freeway chase. There's no the lobby fight and the dodging and the training and all that from the first one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it is that there is there is value in watching The Matrix re- reloaded outside of the context of The Matrix. Granted, not a lot of it will make sense to you, <laughs> but not a lot of it made sense to a lot of people who did know. Yeah. So there is no value in this film except for closure with the trilogy it depends entirely
1: upon the other two like the second one it's a sort of simplistic way to look at it but the second one's pure action the third one's pure story is kind of the quickest way to sum them up even though the second one has the single largest info dump potentially in cinematic history this one seems to be more about closing the narratives and like you know we're done with just fancy slow motion bullet dodging this is about uh, the people and the real lives and all that it's just they didn't do enough to invest us in anyone who wasn't you know the the top four and like i feel like they try and add Naomi in there to make it the top five but she doesn't connect in the same way neo trinity morpheus and smith do so
0: yeah and you know and like i i'm still i was still very struck how morpheus does virtually nothing
1: yeah. Well, he's a broken man. He's lost his faith. His whole life was about but, yeah. the one, and then you know, Neo's like, no, we're fucked, man. Like, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, Link also... I mean, it, it it almost feels like they cut and run in some ways from a bunch of stuff they introduced. Yes. Uh, like Especially when it comes to the Arctic, which I think is probably something we need to address, is that uh, after the, his big scene, which was the talk of the town, for better or worse... <laughs> he literally is in this movie for what 45 seconds at Mm -hmm. the end yeah when it's all over when it's just programs Um, and
1: every human in the matrix is dead fight me if that is is not what you think happened anyone he he well i mean he does say to neo we won't meet again so i guess he just sort of hangs out in his in his room (laughs) he doesn't really do things he he just shows up to talk to the oracle sati makes the sun come out there's a bench that says in memory of thomas anderson You'll have to take my word on that.
0: I believe you. I <laughs> sure. missed that. I believe you. I think everyone missed uh, that. <laughs> so, we've watched The Matrix in context now. Like yes. We've got some other stuff to talk about, but
1: how how are we feeling? The Matrix one is... It's iconic. It's it's an all-time amazing film. Like Whatever list of whatever films are the best ever or the ones you need to see before you die, it's definitely on there. Two and three, I feel, are cultural punching bags in a lot of way. It's like, oh yeah, didn't the sequel suck? I like the second one. I think it's got a lot of goofy shit in it. I like some of that goofy shit. This, this third one, I think it's a fitting ending. I think it sticks the landing better than a lot of trilogies and like, long-term oh, yeah. stories do. You can't really say that it didn't like give you an ending, <laughs> because it definitely does. It's weird, because once upon a time, I was, like, fucking obsessed with The Matrix, and, like, you know, I, I said it when we did the The Matrix 1 episode, I've probably seen The Matrix, like, north of 30, maybe south of 50 times, and I've I, seen the sequels quite a lot as well, and... It's weird to watch them now and, like, not have that intense, like, oh my god, I love this feeling that I once did. Uh, I appreciate the first one and just as an exercise in, like, filmmaking more than I, I would have done when I was just like, cool, look at all this dumb, like, martial arts bullshit that I love. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that Wachowskis kind of failed to even come close to recapturing some of this. I mean, I feel they got sort of typecast and then they also tried to break away from it. And then, I don't know, I'm just surprised that, like, the, the people that made this and Bound and stuff,
0: like, what are your feelings on the yeah. overall? I think this exercise has definitely confirmed that The Matrix, you know, is... Good. <laughs> yeah. It is a generational movie it is something that yeah. if you want to pick one film from the 90s and be like this is the film like you had you only could pick one film a decade i would be completely comfortable with the matrix being that one film from the 90s it is just kind of breathtaking in a lot of ways yeah. Yeah, like again like I'm, i don't think anyone should be claiming it, no one should be claiming that it's wholly original or anything like that but, but it it's it's really, still feels just, a bit though. like it felt a very feels that way it felt like something you had never seen before. And it felt and, confident. You know, maybe there are issues it, with that that other people who are more informed want to talk about, but <laughs> it, it felt, still it, feels that way now.
1: It felt confident and realized and... and solid and three-dimensional in a way that a lot of new IPs are not capable of of doing and everything everything is a bit homogenous now and you know arguably a lot of things look a bit like The Matrix now but I don't think anything looked like this when this came out and uh, and they, they had a world for a while and, and it was a mega fucking franchise that got all these all this spin-off material some of which we'll talk about next week yeah, they, they I still don't know how I feel about them potentially revisiting this world regardless of who writes it and who's in it and all this sort of stuff,
0: but And I think really nothing that happened in these sequels can kind of ruin that. Yeah. Um and I I say that to someone who likes both sequels
1: I think it's very know, difficult sorry. to talk about this third one without being negative for what... Because I do, like, if we divide everything down the middle of I like this, I don't like this. I do like this film. It's just every talking point has a natural sort of negative flow to it. But it is still... Yeah. I still enjoy this movie.
0: And uh, the sequels just are deeply, deeply flawed mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. If I were at the point maybe just to one thing, I would say you can compare. I think it's really about the action and mm. that the first one, there was a real violence and sense of danger to the action yes. that was missing yes. um, in the sequels.
1: Yeah. like We talked about it last week, but like... Neo obviously has no reason to fear anything, but it no longer feels like Morpheus is in danger, or Trinity is in danger, or Niobe is in danger, you know, they all suddenly feel like world beaters, and that agents are just punk asses who no one should be that scared of, and that first one, they do an amazing job of, you know, no one has ever fought an agent and lived, like, you must run, you must hide. Like, you know, their guns, like, kick like a fucking mule and, like, they just wipe the floor with everyone who encounters them and Neo has to fight so hard to beat Smith and then Smith just pops right back up. Like, it's all so well done. And then they're just kind of cast aside and, you know, maybe it's taking away... Maybe it's separating Smith from the agents and they don't have the confidence to, like... Or they didn't feel they had the screen time to give another agent who is, like, a little bit more of a, like, you know talky talk guy like a charismatic person in the same way that hugo weaving was their sort of mouthpiece in the first one uh, i don't know but yeah it all feels like the difficulty level has been lowered in the second two and that definitely hurts it because that's what you want in a fight scene you want to feel that sense of danger and that's like your protagonists can lose otherwise what are we doing hmm. Hmm. okay well then this has been three episodes of the sky scorchers uh, we will be back next week to do the Animatrix, which is a collection of uh, animated films made by various filmmakers. The Wachowskis are slightly involved. I, I don't think in all of them, but they have sort of overseeing capacity. But it's just it's an exercise in seeing what different filmmakers do with their material. So we'll give that a watch and come back next time. And then episode five will be Dark City. Obviously, we'll watch that.
0: I feel like I did not agree to that.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> surprise. <laughs>